All right. Welcome, welcome. It's good to see everyone here. Man, we have had a full day all day. Um, eight, believe it or not, people at 8.30, people do wake up that early. It's weird. That service was full. The, 11, the uh, 10 o'clock was, was solid, and you guys are solid too, so it's so great to have you. So great to have all of you who are uh, checking in from home. Great to have you with us as well. We're in a series talking about Jesus as the living hope. He's not a hope. He's not one way to hope. He's not one of many hopes. Jesus described himself as the hope, and he is not just a hope that was a great story that we can draw inspiration from in the past. He is someone who has a living and active role in our lives, even today. He is our living hope. And as we're going through this, um, we're going to be looking at chapter Luke, or chapter Luke. (laughs) Luke chapter 5. And if you got your Bibles, if you could turn to Luke chapter 5. That would be fantastic, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, But as you're turning to Luke chapter 5, the question that I got to ask you is simply this. Why do you do what you do? Like, in your everyday life, why do you do that? Why do you do those things? Why do you do the decisions that you make? why Why do you make those decisions? Like, have you ever had that situation where you walk into, okay, this, this is not just an old person thing. I've been doing this since 12. But you walk into a room, and you're like, And what am I thinking? What am I doing here? What am I supposed to, not, not what am I doing here. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or have you, maybe more often than that, every single person's experienced the reality of it, doing something and then asking yourselves later, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why didn't I just shut up? Why did I post that? Why did, I, why did I take part in that? We ask ourselves these questions all the time. And, that, and that's a really important, mature question to ask yourself. Why do I do, or why do you do what you do? And the answer actually is answered in Jesus' ministry. As we've gotten into Luke, we've talked about the fact that Jesus was prophesied. He wasn't just a dude who showed up. He wasn't just a great teacher. That he was actually the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And boom, he is born. You got Bethlehem, the baby in the manger, and the wise men. And boom, all of a sudden you got Jesus growing up. We catch up to him at 30. And at 30, we've got Jesus being baptized by his cousin John, who said, this is the guy. He's the one that we've been waiting for. Jesus goes off into the desert like we talked about last week with the temptation. And now, now he's ready. Like now it's go time. Now it's time to start the ministry. And he starts using a word that was more common then than we use now. In fact, it's a word that people use around the world today. But in our country, we don't really. Because we've had 200 years of being liberated from this term, this concept. You know what the word is? It starts with K and rhymes with kingdom. It's, yes, kingdom. Kingdom. What you do, the reason that you do what you do is because your actions reveal your, what Jesus talked about, your kingdom. We live out our kingdom perspective. Like whatever kingdom we live in or whatever kingdom we're all about, our actions actually as a people group reveal our kingdom. And Jesus talked about not just one kingdom, but three. He starts identifying that we are operating in, we live in one of these three kingdoms. You do today. I mean, you might be in Illinois, the kingdom of Illinois, the kingdom. The kingdom of Illinois and the land of Manuka. But you honestly are living in one of the three kingdoms. And the first kingdom is the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me is identified by all the things that you do for you. You do you, that's in this kingdom. You, your concept of I do what I want to do, boom, right here. No one should tell me what to do, boom, right here. This comprises all of your loves, all of your comforts, all your desires, all your rights, 
your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your wife, your husband, your country, all of that can land in the kingdom. And you stay with or you support or you're all about that kingdom as long as that kingdom is in support of me. As long as I'm being served here, that's awesome. Now, this is not, this is not something that you have to learn. This is default. This is like out of the factory ready, you're ready to be all about me kingdom. There's not a single one of you who grew up and your parents had to tell you, tell you to be more self-centered or self-absorbed. Or you really should be thinking about your own needs first. There's not like a, a four-year-old that has to be told, you know, maybe you need to have your, some you time and have some self-care. They're like, I've been self-caring my whole life, four years. Me kingdom is something that we operate off naturally. Now, some people are like, yeah, I've been doing this a long time and I'm sick of me. I'm sick of everything being my way and about me. I, I'm going to be a better person than everyone living in this kingdom. And I'm going to go to another kingdom. What, what, can, you, can you think of what the other kingdom is? You or others. I'm not a self-absorbed me kingdom person. I'm all about the kingdom of other people. I invest my whole life. You've got a need, I'm going to meet it. You've got a problem, I'm there. You're marginalized, you're sick, you're struggling. I am a bigger person than the people in me kingdom, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to be all about, boom, others. I'm about you, and I pour my whole life into you. And that sounds admirable. That sounds fantastic. I mean, that sounds like a, sounds like a way better person than someone living over in me kingdom. There's a problem. When you invest your whole life into the needs of others, after a while it starts to get revealed that part of the reason that you're doing all this stuff for others is because it's meeting a need in me. You're still living in me kingdom. You're just putting on the clothes of others kingdom because it seems like it makes you a nicer person. Over here in others kingdom, you have codependency. You have people pleasing. Like, I've got to keep on doing this. I've got to keep on being nice. Or I've got to keep on helping people out because there's something I get back from that. And, and that's something that keeps me over in the other's kingdom. Jesus comes in and he does something radical. He says, there's a better kingdom. And it's my kingdom. And he uses the term kingdom in a very political way. Um, when he's describing kingdom, it's not like there's a vacuum, like there's no kingdom. Like there's just like, everyone's just like, it's an anarchist like civilization. And people are like, yeah, whatever you want to do is fine. And Jesus says, well, I've got an idea. How about I have a kingdom and you follow me? He's saying that he's a king and that he, it's his kingdom in a time when there's another kingdom and a pretty powerful kingdom. It's the Roman kingdom. It's the Roman empire. And people had a way of saying, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is king. And all of a sudden, Jesus' followers have the audacity to go political. And they start saying things like, no, I mean, Caesar is the law of the land. We're going to pay our taxes. We're going to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But you want to know who Lord, who's Lord? It's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And they started saying Jesus is Lord. And as churchy as that sounds to you, or like that's probably what we put on like a banner or might hear it in a song, back then, that could get you killed. That was a political statement. You're saying that Jesus is, in fact, more supreme than Caesar? For real? But it's Caesar that we have to deal with. It's Caesar we have to, like, that's uh, the pain in all of our rear end. Yeah, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus. And so Jesus said that when we think through the lens of kingdom, everything else gets ordered. The way that we look at the world, the way that we act towards others, if it's his kingdom, it's going to be countercultural to all of the other kingdoms, the me kingdom and the other kingdom. His kingdom actually is like, it's, it's so counterintuitive that you're actually loving people that are against you, that hate you, who want to kill you. That doesn't work in any other kingdom, but it does in his. And so Jesus consistently is communicating, I'm calling you to live in my kingdom, and I'm calling you to live it out for real, not just theoretically. Because 
your actions reveal your kingdom. In fact, when people were stressing about finances and like, yeah, but like we're in the Roman Empire and, and, and honestly, we're struggling because we're in the Roman Empire. We're freaking out. How are we supposed to get clothes? How are we supposed to get food? Like we, the kingdom, that the, our kingdom reality right now, it stinks. Jesus says to them, seek first, seek first the kingdom. Again, he's using this word, foreign to us as Americans, but super common to them back then. Seek first the kingdom of who? Of God and his righteousness, which is another way of saying right standing with God. Seek that. And all these things, all the things that you're worried about and freaked out, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Be at peace. In spite of the calamity, in spite of the chaos, you're going to be okay. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus describes three kingdoms. And the crazy thing is this. This is the most helpful and holistic approach to true hope the world has ever seen. What you can only do in part for yourself, what you can only do in part for others, Jesus has come to do a supernatural reality with. If someone is in his kingdom, that impacts your spiritual standing personally. You are personally saved. You have a personal connection with God. You have a personal future. It's not just like your whole family or your, your whole community. It's personal. But Jesus said it doesn't stop there. He says you need to love God and love who? Others. That living in his kingdom actually does the most good, causes the most peace, and causes the most hope. Not because things are good, but because he's still king. And when you see that Jesus is king, it changes things. It causes you to have a better perspective on everything. Now, we don't have kings in our country. I'm really glad we don't have kings or queens in our country. I'm really glad the fact that, that we can vote in the way that we vote. But as Americans, every four years, we come to this like tension point about who is going to ultimately be ruling we have a whole lot of fear about if that person who's ruling isn't the person we like. Many of you voted for Trump. And the reality is, is that on January 20th, we're going to have a different president in office than Trump. Now, some of you still believe that that's not going to be the case. And if I'm wrong, I'll buy you coffee. But let's just reality check. Biden is going to be in the president. He's going to be sworn in on the 20th. And for, if you voted for Trump, that could be incredibly disquieting and discouraging and demoralizing, frustrating. Some of you think it was legal, um, but it's just frustrating that it, that it panned out the way it did. You look at how things went back to the courts and they said, no, it was all legal. And you're like, well, I guess they're right, but it's upsetting to me. Others of you say, no, it was illegal. And therefore, whoever, uh, Joe Biden or anyone else who gets to become a president by illegal terms isn't really president or he won't be my president. One of the things that's amazing is that as, as people who understand that Jesus is king, we understand something from Romans 13 that says that it's not man, not mankind, not humanity who puts people in power as presidents or kings. Who is it? It's God. That means that God actually allows for certain people to come into power that are not good people. God actually, if you look throughout history, if, if Romans, if the Bible is true, there have been people who have come into power by killing the previous person or having a coup to overthrow the government. And as illegal or as violent or as disastrous as we look at that, those were means that God actually used the bad, sinful decisions of others to ultimately bring about his will. That's how Trump came into to power. It was voting, yeah, but it was God. It's how Obama came into power. It's how Bush came into power and Clinton. And then Bush again. These people came into power because we have a system of voting. But ultimately, you know who put them in power? 
or who allowed them to be in power? King Jesus. Not because they're king. They're just presidents. But because he's king and he's even able to use that. And so there's been far more illegal means than even voter fraud to ultimately accomplish God's will, if, in fact, that's what happened. So if you're someone who's demoralized by what took place in November or what's going to take place on January 20th, I want you to just understand this. There's good news. Because President Trump is our, is our president, but he's not our king. we got a better king. Amen? Now, some of you voted for Biden, and you're stoked. You're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm so glad to have him out. Like, I've been hoping for this for so long. Him and Kamala, or probably Kamala, is going to do so many great things, and it's going to be just phenomenal, and like my world, I and mean, everything that I would hope would happen in this world is going to happen, and I'm a Christian, and I feel like they're really the better move for a Christian, and they're going to fully, like, if that's your perspective, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. You're going to be incredibly disappointed, because they're never going to pull that off. Joe Biden will be a president. He's not a king. i got good news for you. You have a better king. It's King Jesus. What took place this past week in Washington, D.C. rocked all of us. It rocked all of us. And watching what we saw on TV, it was just, it's still like my mouth is just on the floor. I'm friends with someone who was actually in the rally outside of the Capitol. And they reported back to me, listen, from where we're at, everything's just peaceful protests. You know, we're just communicating. We don't think that this happened legally. Everything that we're hearing about in the Capitol, I don't know who that was, but that wasn't our group. We're a peaceful protest, or at least the people in my area were a peaceful protest. And this person said, we think perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's Antifa or some domestic terrorist. And then other people are like, no, it's, it's all Trump supporters, and this is what happens. And it's, maybe it's a mixture of both. I don't know. But all I know is this, is that whatever took place in the Capitol, the lawlessness that we saw, the violence that took place, the killing of a police officer, the death that took place in the wake of everything else, is something that we stand against that. I mean, that's something that we're not for. I don't think anyone is. A lot of people say that they're against that, but then they'll have like, but, but perhaps. But no, there's no perhaps. And, and the thing that, that reason that we can actually be a people of hope in the spite of that, in the face of that, is because we have a better kingdom. Your actions reveal the kingdom that you're living for. And if they go to violence, that's, that's revealing your hand. It's revealing your kingdom. And when I talk like this, sometimes people are like, man, you know, I just feel like you have an overly optimistic outlook on things. And I'm guilty of that. I am overly optimistic. I have not given up on a single one of you. I love every one of you. I know that you're, God's going to pull it out for you. He's got work that he's doing you. But the thing is that this is not optimism. This is realism that's rooted in King Jesus. He doesn't, he's not concerned with terms. He's not concerned with one term or a two-term presidency. He's, his term has been solid and fixed and will outlive and outlast every government, every people group, and every president ever, ever been because he's King Jesus. He's not any one of these kings. He's not someone that we can vote in or vote out. He's someone that we can put our trust in completely. And the truth is, is that that should give you the most peace that you can possibly imagine. One of the things that, um, I had a friend of mine call me out this week, um, and, and he said, Errol, when you talk like this, you're talking like uh, rainbows and sunshine, like everything's all rainbows and sunshine. This is not all rainbows and sunshine. I mean, I, I've been deluded about a lot of stuff, but I'm confident in Jesus. Are you? Is he your king? 
Because if he's your king, then you've got a peace that it can outlast this. Because listen, when our forefathers, if you're from this country, if you call this country your own, if you're a citizen of the United States of America, before there was a United States of America, King Jesus was still ruling in their hearts. Amen? When, when you get people that were brought over as slaves, when they got to this country, when they heard the gospel, in spite of their conditions, King Jesus was still king over them. Today, in countries that are far more persecuted than we have ever been in our country, they are, there are people who are following Jesus and have far more peace and far more contentment than we've had this past week. Not because their conditions are better, not because their government is for them, but because they have a confidence in who? King Jesus. And that should do something in your life. You're going to invest your life in some kind of hope. And I'm just telling you, there's a better hope than anything that's going to demoralize you or take you down that's going to say that this isn't accurate, that this isn't factual. Saying that King Jesus is greater than President Trump or President Biden isn't even close to being controversial because those two people are not even a distant second as far as the rulership over your life. Amen? So how do you live that out? How do we, in a time of empire where we look to our, our political leaders as the people that are our kings and that our ups and downs are all on them, it's all banking on them, everything is awesome if they're in power, that the people we like are demoralized if it's not. How do we operate as kingdom-minded people? Jesus showed us how. It's in Luke 5. And actually, it dovetails with our mission statement. Kingdom-minded people are, first off, real with God. You have Jesus showcasing how you condition the perspective of a person who's kingdom-minded in the face of empire. And he says this, this like Jesus starts to heal people and everyone's like getting stoked about Jesus. And I mean, if, if someone was bringing people back from the dead or cure, if someone was in your community curing COVID, I promise you they'd be popular by the end of the day. Yet the news about Jesus, him, spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And so Jesus kept on beating the drum of his popularity. He gathered people around and he just kept healing and healing and healing and doing miracle after miracle and speaking and speaking and speaking. He just didn't stop. Is that what it says? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This word right here, often, that's not even in the original Greek. It's not in the original writing. Dr. Luke didn't write this word. Every translation puts that word in the sentence because the way Dr. Luke orchestrated the Greek in the sentence grammatically was to put a ton of pressure on this word. This is not a one and done. I didn't just like, well, I happened to get away to pray because I was kind of worried about stuff. Or I felt like I needed to get a good start for the day, so I thought I'd pray. This is something that he was consistently and frequently doing. And you go through the book of Luke, and it's before major events, after major events, when things are going great, when things are going awful. Jesus is getting away to pray. And who is he praying to? Some other God? Who's he praying to? He's praying to the God. Thank you. He's praying to God the Father. Now, here's the thing that always bugged me as a kid growing up in church. Is Jesus God? Who's he praying to? God. Does that not bug you? Because that bugged me. I was like, come on. Like, if I start talking to myself, I get in trouble for that. People start to stare. What is up with this? But within the Trinity of God, you have three distinct persons, one being. And so you have Jesus, who is God, making a point to frequently get away to talk to God. Now, here's a Bible quiz. How many years of ministry did Jesus have on earth? Three. Three years. And he's wasting time doing that? You're God, and you're talking to God the Father 
I mean, don't you just kind of intuitively know what's going on? Why are you wasting time doing it? And you've got three years. You want to make an impact that's over 2,000 years in the, like, of impact. That, and you, you're working with less than a high school education. Three years. Like four years, maybe. But I mean, if you only got three years, that's like nothing. All the stuff that we learn about Jesus and then some took place in three years. And in the midst of that time crunch, he's not too busy to pray. He makes sure that his worldview, his actions are, are at the table of something that started between him and God. What about you? What do you often withdraw to lonely places to do? Like when you're not working, when you're not at school, or when you're not, what is it that you're investing your time in doing or reading or watching? Because I'll be honest, most of us in this room, we would have to confess that what we oftentimes retreat to do is to watch the news, watch TV, be on social media. Most recently, I mean, it's hard not to be on social media to find out what's happening. And, and, and there's people that are like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with social media. I'm done with Facebook. And then they come back because they're like, how could I stay angry at you? Come back. And they're back on Facebook, right? How many of you ever said that you're going to quit Facebook? How many are still on Facebook? Okay, yes, okay. And then reason being, is like we, we quit Facebook because we know it's toxic and it's gross and it's terrible. But how, if we, if we don't go on Facebook, how are we going to possibly know what to be angry about? So we have to keep coming back. Now here's the thing. If you're investing more time of your life letting the news or social media influence your outlook, influence your anger, influence your peace, then you are allowing God's word, then you may have just revealed your kingdom. Now again, I would say that, that if you're spending time with God, does that need to be matched by, you know, it can't be, you know, you can't watch any more news or be on social media. No, but I'm saying that if you are filling your life with lots of news feeds, but you're not living your life out of the news, that are, that's the good news, the reality, then you're allowing your brain to be programmed and conditioned to be whatever people are thinking at the time. And usually it's, a pretty, it's full of anxiety. One thing we talked about last week as a challenge to you, and if you haven't done it, jump on board now, is actually just going and like searching up Bible Project off of YouVersion. It's an, YouVersion is an app, but you can just basically go through and, and find a way to get into the Bible on a daily basis in such a way that you're going to be basically allowing God's perspective of his kingdom to wash over you. You want to be a kingdom-minded person? Do what Jesus did. Spend time with him daily. But it's not just that. Jesus actually did something else. Kingdom-minded people are also real with each other. In G this kingdom movement of what Jesus is doing, he's gathering people, and he's gathering people who have nothing in common except for Jesus. When I was uh, growing up in California, and I had this idea that I was going to be going to Chicago in Illinois, because that's where Chicago is, and that I was going to come over here to go to school, that I, I was like, I had this perspective in my mind that first off, Moody Bible Institute people were going to be like the most serious, like, you know, they would be wearing like three-piece suits and wearing briefcases and all that type of stuff. There's only one dude that actually did do that. But everyone else, like, I, I, my fear was I'm going to be going into a place and I'm going to have zero in common. I'm not from this, these people's state. Some of these people are from the south, from the east coast, from the Midwest. All I know is Southern California. There's people from other countries that are going there. Like, I'm, I'm going to have zero in common with them. And then I got there. And one of the things that I found right off the bat, this is um, Reese Amstutz, who leads worship in the first uh, service. This is his dad, Josh. This is uh, a guy named Josh Bailey, who was my roommate all the way through. That's John Bliker. 
Josh is a lead pastor up in Lake Geneva, and these two guys are worship pastors in Texas and in Washington State. The thing that blew me away when I first got to Moody was this amazing reality that all these 18-year-olds, as different as we are, we don't come from the same culture, we don't have the same perspective, we don't all have the same accent, we clicked like that. Do you know why? Because of King Jesus. Because we had a commonality in him. After I became a youth pastor at, at Mission Bible Church, I got a chance to get to know these people. This is Margaret and, um, and Cletus Henry uh, from St. Lucia. We had a chance to go down there. Many of you have been down to St. Lucia, and you saw what I saw. These people aren't from the same culture. They have a different political system. They have a different outlook on life, and yet you clicked right away. Not because you've done so much history with each other, not because of all of the, the life that you spent with each other. You have none of that stuff. The thing that you have in common is... King Jesus, you live in the same kingdom as each other, and so you automatically have an automatic in. Down in Haiti, um, this is uh, Fidel, this is one of the, this awesome, awesome guy who is just like an amazing person. I, I, I love this guy, but I've never spoken one word to him that, that he understands because we don't speak the same language. And yet we have an automatic connection. In spite of all the, the struggles that he has, the disabilities he has, the place that he lives, totally different from my life story. And yet, we have a kinship right away. Why? Because we are all part of the same kingdom. We are following King Jesus. When I was over in Israel, I met this guy. He's over here in the corner. His name's Dr. Naim in the little town of Bethlehem. This is in a church that's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a Muslim town. And it's, and it's a pretty um, abrasive Muslim town towards Christianity. In fact, he was, uh, Dr. Naim was a, was a Muslim all growing up, and then he became a Christian. And then it started to get really, really awkward for him. Um, because all of a sudden he starts up this church, and he gets shot. And then he gets shot again. And then his car gets bombed. And then his church gets bombed. His church has been bombed four times. And yet this guy is just like proclaiming the Lord, and he loves life. This guy, I like automatically, I've got an automatic kinship with him. I've never been shot at. I've never been bombed. Some people would love to do that. They haven't yet. This guy and I have an automatic connection. Why? Because we're in the same kingdom. And by the way, this guy in a, in a world that's against him, where his rights are not there, where everything that you and I hold dear and enjoy in this country, he doesn't have. He has a peace and a love and an outlook that's amazingly kingdom-minded. In fact, the, the proclamation that he has to the surrounding community, the proclamation he has to the surrounding community who are abrasive to him, who want to do him harm. You want to know what it is? You want to know what kind of in-your-face message he puts up on the wall to let everyone know what they're all about? That's it. That's up on the wall in their church. To communicate that the thing that's amazingly defining about them, that their response to a harsh outside world is the love. Not their love. King Jesus' love. And so when we look at that, we recognize that Jesus is someone who's calling these different people. Jesus starts to call the disciples at the beginning of chapter 5. He calls Peter, and he calls other people who are, are, are he calls poor fishermen and rich fishermen. And, and you can tell that they're rich because they're the guys that are resourced. They got the boats on the, on the Sea of Galilee, and they're the ones that are poor are the ones that are fishing from the shoreline. And he calls both rich and poor. And then he starts calling not only just different classes, but also different demographics of morality. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector boo, by the name of Levi. Levi is also named Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, written by this dude. Sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. 
And a large crowd, large crowd, this is not social distancing, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Remember, repentance just means change your mind. He's calling these people who are broken and messed up in their sin to change their mind. But that, he doesn't stop there. He calls Levi, right? Levi is a guy who is a tax collector. Matthew is a tax collector. That means that he's so okay with the Roman Empire that he's willing to cheat his own people for them. Total traitor. Total traitor. And Jesus is like, that guy. Okay, you're on the team. And Matthew is like, Okay. And so he comes on the team. And then Jesus calls Simon the Zealot. This isn't Simon Peter. This is Simon the Zealot. Now the Zealots, think about domestic terrorists, okay? Because the Zealots in that group of people were saying, Rome is so backwards and so oppressive, we need to overthrow Rome and take our country back by any means necessary. We'll be violent. We'll slit the throat of Roman soldiers. No problem. That's what we do. And Jesus is like, oh, Boom. Yeah, you, yeah, no, not you. Yeah, you. Come on over here. And all of a sudden, he gets on the same team, the guy who's on Rome's team, hurting his own people, and the guy who wants to stand up for his own people and kill Romans. And he's putting them together. Do you think that that makes sense? In what world does unity make sense like that? You don't unify by bringing those polar opposites, but Jesus does. And says, you guys aren't just my followers. You're the inner ring of my followers. And check it out. I'm calling you as sinners to change your mind. This is what we do. You want to be a kingdom-minded person? Whenever you walk through the doors here, you're not walking through these doors because you've got it all right, because you're holier than anyone else that's not here. The reason that we come here every week faithfully, the reason that it's so important to gather is because we're conditioning our perspective of being a kingdom-minded kingdom person who's gathering in this room, and the thing that we all have in common is that we are broken, sinful people who have a common Savior. We are broken, sinful people who know that the King is Jesus, and what he did for us is greater than what we've done to us, and what we've done to others. Amen? That's huge. And so when we keep on coming in here week after week, we are faithfully washing over our mind a kingdom-minded perspective of the fact that God has called us into community. If you're someone that's like, man, I'm like a one-in-three-week type of person that I, I gather, I want to challenge you. Make 2021 different. Make this an every-week thing where you are training your brain. You're training every day in God's Word, and then you're training every week by being alongside one another and letting God's kingdom-minded perspective wash over you. Be real with each other. But Jesus didn't end there. He actually causes us to recognize the fact that our actions even need to emulate some of his actions. Jesus, his actions were, were one of not only teaching, but he was doing miracles. He's taking brokenness and making it whole again. He's taking things that are in dark and bringing light to them. And so that, that falls into the category of being real in the world. Check this out. After, when Jesus is, is healing people, all of a sudden he's healing people and he's actually... He's, he's focusing all of his efforts on that. But then he's about to go to the next town over. Like he's working in Manuka, and then he's going to go to Shanahan. And everyone's like, no, not Shanahan. And he's like, why don't you stay here in Manuka? We got tons of people. And he's like, no. And he says this. Jesus said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too. For that is what I was sent to do. Why does Jesus do what he does? 
Jesus understands what he was put on this planet to do. He is laser-focused on what he was put on this planet to do. He was not just about healing, although that was part of it. His role was to bring light into the darkness, wholeness to the brokenness. And he wasn't just doing it to fulfill prophecy. He was doing it so we would watch. We'd recognize that we too have a, a role in that. You and I have a role in proclaiming the kingdom of God wherever we go. If you're a Christian, you have the light. Are you personally bringing the light into the darkness around you? Are you looking at the fractured areas and bringing them whole in his name? Or are you looking at the fractured areas of your world and adding more brokenness? Part of you being real in the world is simply reflecting a Savior who is the King. And we get a chance to proclaim the kingdom of God and live that out. And when we are asked the question, why do you do what you do? Man, we have a King. His name is Jesus. My actions, my actions reflect his kingdom. Your actions reveal yours. Right now we're in a point in our American history that is incredibly divided. And unfortunately, we often are people who are a part of the problem. We're not called to just smooth things over. We're not called to just smile and hold hands and move on. It's more complicated than that. And we're also not called, all of us, to agree on 100% of everything. But we are called to represent Jesus. And the way that we can ask ourselves the question and keep coming back is, are my actions revealing his kingdom? Is my investment of time and life revealing his kingdom? or a secondary, or a tertiary, or a way back burner kingdom that's not going to last. Invest your life in whatever you want. But I want to invest my life in a kingdom that has no end. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? One thing we need to do as a people, as a church, is that when we get to key points like this in our, in our country's history, where we're just like, we need to be in prayer we need to lift up our country. We need to pray together as a community. You need to do this individually. You need to do this as couples, as, as, as spouses, to pray that God would help us understand what he wants us to do to be a part of his kingdom in times that are fractured. To be a part of his hope and his love, loving our enemies the way that he calls to do, which seems so counterintuitive. And that we will be a part of bringing him glory in our actions. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to believe in you, but live within another kingdom. Lord, I know how easy it is to be duped into um, living a majority of my life in my own kingdom, skipping over into the kingdom of others, but oftentimes turning my back on your kingdom and your call. So I pray that you help me, my brothers and sisters here, and my brothers and sisters watching, be a part of the work that you want to do in our community, in our world, in our country. This time matters, and you put us on the planet at this time for a reason. Help us be a voice that is reflective of yours. Lord, I pray that you help our country. Lord, I pray that you help give our, our country deep understanding, perspective. God, I pray that it is the believers that are the ones that are surfacing as those reflective of your kingdom. God, when we see what happens as a result of that, we'll give you the thanks and the glory. 
We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the fact that you are sovereign and that you're in control and that we could be the people that have the most peace even in chaotic times because of you. And for that, we give you so much great thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Love you, church. See you next week. Go live it out.